this is for you, Brian. This this clean start is for you for the uh, edit of the uh, audio podcast. So, yes, love it. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Welcome everybody. We're, what we're doing here today is uh, answering questions. I always had a lot of questions for you, Chris. Um, this has been going on for a while. Um, I think last time we we talked uh, was when you did your patron um, hangout, which, by the way, everybody should join Chris's, Chris's uh, patron uh, Patreon. And we were talking in there, and <laughs> I had a question for you, and that question was, Chris, what gives you the right? To what? I don't know. It's just a, it just felt good to ask that. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I don't have any rights. <laughs> no, but um, but you've been flying. You've been releasing videos. You've been making a lot of stuff. Um, and I know you got some other things in the works. But uh, maybe start with an update. Uh, uh, yeah, for, for you. Yeah, thanks uh, for sure. Um, I have been flying a little more than usual, and I'm about to fly a lot more than usual in the next few weeks. Um, we took a trip to where did I go? Uh, I went to Charleston. I went to the Outer Banks few weeks ago and then went to charleston a few weeks ago west virginia which is only about a 95 mile or so trip that's actually the video that's going to release this weekend patrons have it now um and it was kind of an interesting one and that uh kevin webb and i were going to take our cherokee 235 down he's going to drop me off because i was going to stay in charleston for two weeks and, and come back but when he got back he was flying it that morning and he got back and there was a problem i found in pre-flight with uh one of the landing gear one of the bolts was uh sheared off and so we i had 130 pounds of stuff to take with me and so we had to do some like and it was like 75 degrees so we were like calculating like trying to figure out can we get can we take the cessna out and get out of there and all that so we piddled around making that decision for a while and eventually decided to do it and i'm really glad we did we had a good time and it was a cool experience got to spend some time under the uh uh, IFR hood and do some like instrument flying. And um, so it was a good experience. That video will come out on Sunday for the general public. Um, yeah, so that was good. Um, and then obviously uh, some of you've heard about, not everyone, we have a kind of a fly in experience coming up uh, in a few weeks in the end of April where uh, Brian and I, and I think three others, are going to fly to the Outer Banks of North Carolina and stay in our beach house and um, go exploring to some really cool places in and around the Outer Banks slash Virginia area while we're down there and shoot some video and eat some good food. And You know what I'm looking forward to the most with that trip, by the way? What's that? It's going to be the first trip in the history of aviation where everything goes exactly according to plan. Well, until just now, <clears throat> now you said that. <laughs> I don't know why you would say that, but yes, that's, uh, no, that is the plan. David, no, I see David's in here. Yeah, David's here. Uh, yep. David's in. David uh, Moscardelli's in here tonight. He's coming down with us. Um, another, uh, yeah, good group of people. Josh, Josh is in here. Uh, Cirrus pilot we met this week. He's a new patron. We had him in the uh, hangout earlier this week. Cirrus pilot from Pittsburgh. So it's good to see everybody. So make sure you do ask questions uh, in the chat. We're, this whole hour is going to be um, Q&A and just answering questions that come up from the chat. But what about you? You've had some, you haven't been flying as much as you, but you were way outpacing me there for a while and now you're not. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, well, you mentioned the Outer Banks trip, right? So um, that's coming up 
I have to budget what I'm doing. And, um, and so there's that factor, but there's also just the, the plane that I primarily fly that is very economical to fly, uh, has gone down for a, a 100 hour and it's been a fairly involved one that is taking some time. So the plane's been down for almost three weeks. I haven't flown for a little over three weeks. Um, I am going to be flying the plane that I trained in, which I also love that plane. I kind of miss flying it. Um, and it is conveniently, you know, at the airport right by my house. So I am going to be flying on Friday and then also on Monday, hopefully just to kind of keep at it. Um, but ultimately I've been kind of saving up a little bit because I'm about to have the plane for, uh, about eight or nine days. Um, so our trip is a, uh, a long weekend, Thursday through Sunday, but uh, for the sake of planning and for the inevitable, who knows what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm coming, I think, the fur- from further away than anybody else is. Um, so, you know, it's not like the craziest trip in the world for, for normal experienced pilots. But for me, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's like setting the world record for me. So, uh, <laughs> so for me, I, I, I added three days of buffer on the front and three days of buffer on the back. And if I have extra time and everything's just great, then maybe I can do some detouring or go, go to my hometown for a while or visit some other people or mm-hmm. something, you know, but ultimately I, I have time, a huge buffer to sort of either, you know, wait out weather and not worry about things or, or whatever. Uh, I promise I won't end up at your beach house three days early. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the other uh, eight people who were there would, uh, <laughs> that's would be surprised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's kind of been my deal is just, um, I've been doing a lot of trip planning and budgeting and, and making sure I got all that and then doing the minimum things to keep myself flying. But, uh, but have definitely gone the longest I think I've, I've ever gone, which is a little over three weeks since I started training. I think there was maybe one spell I had when I was training where one of those sort of trifectas of instructor out of town, maintenance, weather, I think I got, had another three week delay or so, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to take now, right? Like when you're a student, when you're halfway through it, it's three weeks feels like a year. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Uh, it should be a good trip, really. Uh, I think we're still kind of nailing down the plans of what we're trying to do, though. Obviously, we'll have tons of social media content and I'm hoping to get uh, at least two or probably three videos out of the trip where I think a couple of us are bringing drones. Um, so we're going to take make some intentional stops to like shoot some drones. I, I don't have any good drone footage. It's just so hard to do, you know, when you're, it's just pretty impractical in most cases, but these are the perfect opportunities to shoot drones of the airplanes, like untowered fields by the beach, like great scenery behind them. Like these will be the perfect opportunities to responsibly, yeah. um, uh, operate a drone filming close around airplanes. Um, what, you know. what, what, what drone do you, are you a certified part one seven operator? Yeah, I am. Uh, and I am also, what, what is your drone of choice? We never really talked about this. Yeah. So I, uh, I use a DJI, uh, Phantom pro two or Phantom two pro, um, Mavic two pro no Phantom Phantom old mm-hmm. school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still, still to this day, uh, of even the newer, the newer Mavics and stuff. It's still my favorite in terms of the balance of image quality versus size. Yeah. Um, I just really was, I was, I've been happy with it's the sensor size of the camera that they put on. They're the one that put the one inch, you know, the one inch sensor on that camera and with uh, good ND filters and. Are you sure it's not a Phantom 4? I'm sorry, Phantom 4 Pro. Okay. Cause the Phantom yeah. 2 are like the ones where you had to like 
Sorry, you know, Phantom Four Pro Plus, the Phantom yeah. Four Pro Plus. Got it. Yes, with the bright, you know, the super bright knit screen embedded yep. in the controller. Yeah, it's yep. a Phantom Four. Um, sorry, I don't know why I said Phantom Two. So, but it's um, no, that's my favorite, and still is. I mean, there's yeah. certainly better ones out there, but we've had it for a few years now, and it's still, you know, it's it's competitive picture. Uh, it yeah. looks it looks pretty good. So, what, yeah, what got, about you? I know you got a you have a. Do you still have your big boy or did you sell your big boy? I, I finally sold it. I had it for years though. Um, the Inspire 2 with the uh, X5S and I had multiple, you know, I had the 45 millimeter. The, I mean, it's, I got to the point where the kind of gigs I was doing, that was the minimum viable uh, equipment. So, um, so yeah, but, but it's one of those things where they, they just won't make a new one. And I bought it when it came out four years ago and just got to the point where it's like, if I don't get rid of this now, I'm never going to get anything for it. So that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, there's a Sony system that I really like um, that allows you just to mount a, a DSLR like this uh, straight. That's that's the next thing I want is just like, can I just fly a DSLR around? Please? Yeah, that's really exactly. all I care to do. But anyway, but that's really cool. So, um, so we'll have, so much drone uh licenses and i uh, you know i've got a mavic um two you know I, it's That's not cool. the problem with the having the big boy that i had before is it had what's called spotlight pro which allows you to track and do cinematic stuff in ways that you just cannot do with any other drone mm-hmm. um and I'm, when i'm thinking about filming planes i'm like ooh, i shouldn't have sold that but anyway so that's enough about drones um, yeah. but uh but that will be cool to uh to get some of that we'll get a lot of footage for sure i want to acknowledge who one doll one doll geek is here tonight as well he's uh another one who's coming with us <clears throat> got a great um <laughs> midlife drone podcast yeah he's uh another youtube channel uh got a youtube channel um gonna do some video with us too so i think we're the plan is to share footage um amongst ourselves we'll figure out the logistics of that on the back end so that we can all kind of do our own uh edits from these and but also have lots of footage um of each other and of different planes and of just, you know, it, it should be a really good, um, it should be a really good outcome from that. Did one dull geek pass his check ride in between the last episode and this one? If not, uh, congratulations. He, uh, that's huge. That well, he did pass his check ride, right? Yeah. We talked about that at the hangout. Yeah. So, um, I didn't know if we had mentioned that. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned that. Just no, want to give a shout out to somebody who passed their check ride and has been working really hard to do it. So that's awesome. And then also a bearded aviator uh, told me uh, yesterday or day before that he just got his uh, uh, HP endorsement. Nice. Uh, so that's cool. So everybody's, everybody's making stuff happen, which is, which is great. I'm, I'm just going to try to get myself to the beach in one piece. Yeah, uh, study, I'm studying instrument stuff, but it's uh, it's it's a slow it's a slow process. It's going to be a great experience, I think, for everybody. I think we're going to all learn a ton. I mean, I just think some of the group flying and going to a couple of the places we're talking about going there's there's just a lot of lessons here that I think we're all going to take away from it. Yeah. So, have, who has the um, who has the knowledge for uh, you know, if we're going to be thinking about doing any formation, uh, you know, light formation work, um you know, who's in charge? <laughs> who's who's going to, who's going to teach us how to do that? I think we're not, were you on our call? We need to, we'll move on to some questions. We, we are not right. going to do any formation. Uh, we are going to fly a half mile minimum separation. Okay. We, we, we did debate it. And of course I was back here going like, Oh, we could, we could have a zoom call with a couple of people and figure out how to do it. And like, yeah, okay. um, but then I got talked out of it. 
by some of the wiser group folks in the group, which was basically like that really probably deserves a like proper formation training uh, before you go up and just get like super close because, you know, a lot can happen pretty quick when you're that close to another airplane. And oh, so yeah. uh, I think for the safety of all parties, we'll, we'll talk on a different frequency, you know, together and like maintain about a half mile <clears throat> once we might get out closer than that, but then we'll kind of spread out once we're off and um, make our way place to place. Anyway. Yeah. Just, just completed a flight review after 40 years of not flying. Congrats. Old wow, aviator. That's, that's incredible. That's, that's really great. And what's cool is the planes are all the same. I mean, they do still, they fly the same for <laughs> sure. And well, there still may still be the same planes, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's jump into some, uh, yeah. uh, some topics that we have going on here. One is, well, I'm just going to go chronologically. Okay. Um, Badger pilot asked about, I uh, thought you did a podcast about editing videos. Can't find it on YouTube. Can you throw it and, on the screen? Oh, I guess I could do that. Still do that fancy thing, couldn't I? Uh, does this still work? Okay. Perfect. Uh, I thought I saw you did a live podcast about editing your videos, but I can't find it on YouTube or where I listen to my podcast. Am I losing my mind? No, uh, you are halfway not losing your mind. We opted to not publish the audio version of it because it would have made zero sense to the. Um, to the audio only audience. I did think we still had the video published, but I will check on that afterwards. And um, sometimes YouTube makes it hard to find things that had been a live um, podcast, a live stream. Yeah. Sometimes depending on how you have your, what, what you're using to look at YouTube, it will sort it strangely for you or sort those out as a default view. Um, so maybe just search for uh, midlife pilot podcast and then that will bring those up or something. I'll see if I can find a link to here while we're talking and I'll put it in the chat. Um, yeah. And that, that was a really good episode. I appreciate you doing all that, Chris, cause that was, that was a really helpful walkthrough. And I think it gave a lot of people a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, knowledge and inspiration to, to do more for themselves in that way. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Jay Little asks, I'm going to begin ground school as a midlife trainee in the fall. How hard is it to go through flight training and how difficult was the uh, night training? Uh, you can start and I'll answer afterwards. If you All want. right. Maybe I'll just hit the first part of it and you can hit the second. But, uh, you know, so to begin ground school as a midlife trainee, um, I guess I always have to throw this in there. Um make sure you get your medical before you do absolutely anything uh, because it may be all for naught. Uh, the older that we are, the more weird things that can come up. So make sure you get your medical, but otherwise in terms of just what it's like, I mean, I, you know, people have different opinions about it. I definitely felt like um, my brain was not as malleable perhaps as it once was to some of this kind of uh, book knowledge. Um, all that being said, uh, my will to live and to not kill other people uh, was extremely motivating to get through all of it. And, um, and so that's how I, I got through it is just really thinking about my, my deference to the art of aviation and the, uh, just, just out of respect for aviation itself, I need to give it everything I've got. And I think that channeling some of that helps 
when you have the inevitable frustrations, and I, you know that's not a midlife thing. I think anybody can have that. It's hard to study anything sometimes, but um, but anyway. So for me, it was just about um, you know I used sporties and and just went after it and uh, found found ways to make it hard on myself uh, with their with the quizzes and not just focusing on what I do know, but really drilling myself on the stuff that I don't know and all that, you know. So I'd say that, you know, midlife, you'll be fine because you have respect for it. It's not just something you're trying to do to get to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. I think that it's um, uh, it's like anything else in life. I mean, it, to do it, it just takes it takes effort and you've got to kind of commit to it. You know, everybody's busy. We we talk about this all the time, just in our lives and context, like, um Everyone is busy, right? I mean, I, I use it. It's an excuse for me. It's not an ex- Yeah, I say it's an excuse. I, I use that a lot because I am busy. We have so many. Our, our, we're crazy. Our family is crazy. We work full time. We own businesses. We have rentals. We, you know, I mean, uh, fly airplanes. And we're just you have a kid getting ready to graduate high school next year. You know, it's just it's that stage of life, right? But you find time to do the things that are um, that are meaningful to you and you commit the time to do the things that are important. And so... I also use sporties for the, some of the, you know, the education part. I used um, Russ Stills gold seal, uh, which I also really, really liked. Um, and just, that was the hardest part for me. I think it was committing to the knowledge part because the flying was fun. Um, it was hard to commit to the knowledge part. As far as the second part of your question, which was about night flying, I don't like night flight still to this day. And I don't, I never will. I won't seek it out as like a, thing that I want to do except when it's necessary. Uh, I just think it's a, especially more, more so depending on where you live and what the, what the terrain is like in your area. I don't like, um, I don't like night flight because, uh, I'm going to, I'm convinced that something's going to happen in the plane is everything's black and it could be a hillside or it could be a, you know, who knows what it is. I just think there's inherent more inherent danger in the night. And so I stay away from it. So, but as far as the training part, they were some of my favorite training flights because it is remarkably beautiful and peaceful and almost, it's almost easy to, and not, I'm not, not in a dangerous way, but to just kind of disconnect. And like, I mean, it is the most, there's, there isn't anything like it. I mean, it, it was some of my favorite training that we did uh, was the night flying. And uh, that's what I was going to say. It's almost like disassociative. It's such a strange it's, sensation. Yeah, because you've everybody's seen, I mean, you've, you've seen pictures, ton, you know, how many times we've we seen like satellite imagery and stuff from above. Like, that's not that foreign to be like, to, to see the earth from the sky. We've, you know, but there's something about like, when it's black outside and you can see some lights, you know, on the ground. And when you, I mean, it is just, um, it's otherworldly almost. Uh, and so it's kind of cool, but it's, it's, uh, no, I didn't think it was, I didn't have a hard time with it. It was actually some of my favorite lessons. I don't make a, I stay current, you know, on my night landings, but that's about the extent that I, you know, I fly from Fairmont to Clarksburg and land three times at night and come home. That's kind of my seven mile flight is my, uh, plan sorry there's a there's a massive storm coming through here right now and it sounds like my porch back here is uh ending up in the neighbor's yard i'm not quite sure but uh anyway yeah the, the, the winds are crazy here sorry about that um yeah i mean the night flying by the way is uh i, I actually kind of want to challenge myself to do a little bit more of it but i just can't imagine doing it when you're in the middle of actual nowhere so for those that really take it on kudos 
Yeah. Uh, one more thing on that and we'll move on. I, we're going to take a trip to Cincinnati. My daughter has tickets to a concert that she wants to see. It actually got postponed. Uh, it was supposed to be this week, actually. Um, but we're going to fly there and come back at night. And so one of the things between Cincinnati and here, it is reasonably barren. You know, it's kind of a, there's not a lot to see in terms of horizon. And uh, so that's going to be an interesting. Got a road to follow. There is a road that we're going to try to stay close to just for some. I just want to have some idea other than, you know, instruments. And if it happens to be cloudy and not super moonlit, like where the ground is and where it up is. So <laughs> uh, Josh says, I thought I was old till I trained in a Cessna older than me. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. The planes I fly are 60, 1965 and 1972. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a great question. I love this <laughs> from uh, Josh again. Do you file VFR flight plans? I use flight following and have yet to file and activate a flight plan. And it feels like a big unknown to me still. It feels that way because it is a, it, they're trying so hard to not be antiquated and out of touch. But the reality, in my opinion, again, these are, these are opinion based. Uh, these are not, <laughs> these are not official statements that are being made on the midlife pilot podcast. I did for a while and I still try to, but I don't anymore because I just think, because I'm like you, I never leave home without flight following. That's like pilot certificate, medical and flight following are the three things I never leave home without. Uh, and I, I think it's exceptionally valuable and really the services are different, but enough duplicative that like, um, if I'm talking to somebody that knows where I am and if I have trouble, I can tell them where I am. Uh, I think that probably, probably solves what I needed to solve for the flight or for the flight plan thing. If I was, when I did still do them, it's actually in one of my, one of my earlier uh, solo cross country videos. I did one for fun where I filed one and opened it from the air with a flight service station, which was the craziest thing. I mean, that's the only time I've ever talked to flight service in the air, but it was kind of cool just to do it. My problem is I forget to, I forget to close them when I land twice that's happened to me. And I've been called by flight service before they were going to say, and I missed the call once only like 10 minutes later, did I see the number and had to frantically call back. And they said, dude, you just called in time. And we were, it was close to like sending people out because we were flying to a non-towered field, blah, blah. So I would say there's no, re I mean, it's not, it's not a problem to open and do them. Uh, and there's easier ways to do them. Now you can do them from four flight, you know, activate and close them from like your, from four flight. Um, but I don't find tremendous value in them do you i mean is that pretty accurate you think yeah i guess the only caveat i would uh throw in there would be um and by the way i swear i love josh's questions because they're all in that weird sort of the fascia of aviation right like just all these kind of weird kind of customs versus best practices versus what's real versus what's not what do people really do there is a lot of fact and fiction to sort of sort out between your your training and then what people do in the real world and then what decisions people make that are actually good and what things are actually not. Uh, with this one, um, I definitely do flight following any, any time that I can um, and make sure I'm talking to somebody. The only thing I can, the only caveat I think I could maybe throw at you about what you said is um, it's just important to remember that they don't have to give you flight following. And mm -hmm. I have definitely been just 
out of the blue, and I'm sure you have too, where they just call you up and go, hey, uh, see you later. I don't have time for you. Yeah, um, I've been dropped as well. And so if you're halfway through a, a hundred mile cross country and they're just too busy to deal with you and then you're in between them and the next center, you know, you might end up kind of exposed uh, in some way that, that you wouldn't necessarily be as exposed if you had a, a flight plan. But that's true. But generally, generally speaking, it's, uh, I, I have not done one since I was a student pilot. It's a good question though. Doesn't like mean you it. shouldn't. That's right. There's no, there's no harm in doing them. Uh, just remember to close them. And um, <laughs> they're really not much extra work. But if you're flight planning in four flight already, I mean, it's about three clicks to like, to file it. And then um, when you activate it, I always would sit, it was part of my run up actually, because I can't do it from my iPad. Okay, we're getting into the weeds here, but my iPad is not connected to the internet. It's connected to the panel. So I had to pull out my phone, activate it on my phone. Um, but it'll update the time off. You know, you, you activate it. It assumes your time off when you hit activate. So that's even, fine. Even worse for me in the weeds, I don't have an iPhone, but I use ForeFlight on an iPad. Oh, that is worse. So, so, <laughs> and so I'm connected to my Stratus with the iPad. Then I have to turn on the mobile hotspot on my phone, then connect to the mobile hotspot, yeah. disconnect from the Stratus, send the flight plan, then reconnect to the Stratus, then go. And so that's another that's barrier. Pain. Yeah. That's pain. Um, stinky weasel one, uh, who is a friend of mine who is in my flying club here in Fairmont, uh, great screen name who just, it is who uh, actually had his check ride scheduled for this past Saturday, but was canceled. What would you recommend a student pilot private do to stay sharp when your check ride was canceled due to weather and the rescheduled date was quote, when I can get to you. Mm. Um, I do not intend to influence you, uh, BG, uh, but I will say this. I, I mentioned this to your instructor. Um, in your specific case, I might consider another DPE because um, I know one in our area. But aside from that, just in terms of flying, I would say I would not stress about it. I would fly as normal. Uh, a couple times a week, do just normal things that you would do normally. Um, just keep doing maneuvers. I mean, you. I don't think I haven't flown with you, but I think you're probably you're ready. Obviously, or you wouldn't be signed off. I would just kind of stay proficient and uh, do a few landings a week and do a couple maneuvers and just stay sharp and stay on top of your. Um, I, I would be more worried, honestly, about the like oral prep stuff and the stuff getting ready because that's the kind of stuff that for me i had to kind of really work on in the days leading up um you know of course you could just refresh that again when you have a new scheduled date i guess but i don't know i wouldn't over i would just enjoy the extra flying time i mean these are these hours are hours and they'll be in your logbook as hours after you've got your certificate anyway so the only difference in these flights is you don't yet have your certificate and you can't take anybody with you uh but i would just say enjoy the flights would be my take yeah, I, I I do like the idea though of if you, if there, if you do have another DPE that you can access. I mean, that just seems a little weird to get the when I can get to you. It's like I don't know. Look at your calendar and tell me when you can get to me. I don't know. So I wouldn't. Uh, maybe I'm more temperamental, but I I wouldn't like that nebulous of a response for something that's so important. I would find somebody that can commit to a date. You know, whatever it is, uh, and go like that but you know the situation better than i do and who's involved so yeah uh 
One Dog Geek, did both of you think that the check ride was much easier than you thought it would be or just me? 100% yes for me, uh, hands down, undoubtedly. It was, um, I had made it a way bigger life event in my head than it turned out to be. I was overstressed for undue reasons. And it was uh, it was actually a really great experience. Um, I remember I look back on it very fondly and um, we had a great time. And I definitely over hyped myself with the mindset that the DP was going to be out to fail me, you know, looking for a reason for me not to pass when I don't, I just think in the reality of the case in 95% of the time, that's not how it is. You know, they want everybody to pass and are kind of there for you and as your advocate and to make sure you're safe. And um, no, it was, it was a hundred percent better than I thought it was going to be. Mine was a little bit more harrowing and stressful. Um <laughs> I mean, it was fine. It definitely was not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, but I just, I didn't anticipate that during the course of that, that the winds would be picking up and picking up and picking up and having to do things that I, I had to do several things that on my check ride that I just had never done before. Um, so those were some curveballs, like the, it just, or not necessarily things I hadn't done before, but things that were done in a different way, just different enough to make it, um, a little uneasy, you know, like the way that he did unusual attitudes with me, he had me disorient myself hmm. uh, as opposed to just me sort of being like, okay, I'm going to wait for you to you know, do the little game and then I'll put it, put it back. Uh, it was like, he was, he had me under the hood and then had me doing, you know, all right, climbing right turn, you know, more or less this, you know, whatever. It was actually a, a really good, so that's hmm. to the other point of it, which what you're, is what you're talking about. It was actually enjoyable in the sense that it was, a, it was actually a learning experience and uh, and a valuable experience. It wasn't just somebody trying to ruin my life. Uh, so anyway, it was good. Yeah. Awesome. The Badger pilot says uh, 25% of his hours or her, his or her hours since uh, my check ride have been at night, very peaceful and fits my schedule better. It is. I mean, I'm not arguing with the, the peacefulness of the night flying. I might be more apt in Nebraska maybe um, than where I am in West Virginia where you know, finding a flat spot is pretty hard. So it's um, also landing at your airport is not. It's not easy at night. It's not. It's not easy during the day, right? So it's not easy. But I, I do. I mean, I enjoy. Other than the known risk increase, I mean, I do. I don't. It's not like I dislike it. I mean, I do like the. It's you know, it's it's less bumpy. The winds are dead. It's not as hot. It's you know, it's there's a lot of good things about flying at night for sure. Oh, this here we go, Brian. This one's this one's like custom built for you from oh. Jacob Black. Just got my certificate less than a year ago. Fairly comfortable planning day trips, but would be interested in hearing how you plan multiple day mm-hmm. trips for weather as a VFR pilot. Process and tools used. Uh so um yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat. I I've been I think that I think that at least uh, we'll see how it goes for me as I progress, but I think the plan has been to just logically build and and not stack things up on yourself. Um, you know, take a, a one hour cross country, then take a two hour cross country, and you know, I, I kind of uh, in terms of planning and tools. I mean, I, I use all the same tools anybody else does as far as uh, ForeFlight or AviationWeather.gov or. Uh, looking out the window or, uh, you know, all those things. I don't use any special tools. Um, and I haven't really, 
I think that what I've been doing is leaning so hard into the idea that I'm only going to fly when it's really good weather. And I'm starting to, and we've talked about this, right? Like the, once you're at a hundred hours, the hours between say a hundred and 150 are massive. Like your confidence, your, your just skill level and comfort with a lot of things goes up. You're not having to think about everything as an independent action anymore. It all becomes kind of like driving a car a little bit more, you know, less overwhelming. Um, and the newness wears off a little bit in a good way. Um, and so by virtue of that, now I feel like I have more room to start introducing more uh, challenging weather situations in a VFR context. Um, you know, uh, and so that's what this this trip is. So, uh, you know, I, I've got, you know, and I think it's, I think, um, and this is actually something I've been doing some writing about recently, but there's just something about the idea of, uh, even though I know your your question is specifically about weather, but really what it comes down to is you have to have an out. You have to have you have to leave yourself some sort of an out. If that is a no go, be open to that. If that's a you get stuck halfway, you get stuck halfway. Um, even with this uh, trip that we're doing, I have sort of just some decisions to make about do I sort of do the super safe thing and kind of go around the southern part of the Smokies and then up and then over uh, to the beach, or do I just you know what, like, I'm just going to beeline it. I'll just follow I-40 and yeah, I mean, I'll be going through, you know, 6,000 feet elevation mountains and whatnot, but that's not crazy. It's not like, you know, the Sierra Nevadas or something to calm down about it. But I'm also thinking like, well, uh, what if there is weather? I'm already at that much more of a deficit. So I, I, I relate it to my flight planning very much in that way. Um, and I have different routes planned. So I've already got like the if I, if, if I have what, you know, I already have imagined where weather might be and already planned fully my diversions. Uh, so I've gone to extra links. So I think it's really just about planning and I don't, yeah, I don't use any special tools, but, um, but I am stretching myself a little bit more. Um, some people are, uh, maybe braver than I am. Um, I, I just really don't want to do any scud running. I really don't want to get into any kind of a situation, but I do know if I do, I'm hundred percent confident and just doing a 180 or whatever i got a wide diversion whatever it's fine yeah that's good that's good stuff i don't have anything to add to that Uh, i haven't done any multi-day um you know long long trips like that yet so i don't really have a lot of insight into into that but um i think you are i think you are wise and i think you're on the right track for those things uh david moscardelli this is a great question the what are your personal minimums for your upcoming night flight um and i'll just be honest and say that i haven't I haven't quantified them uh, really differentiated between night and day. And also, to be honest, I probably should go back and revisit. I haven't really modified my written down minimums since I became a a private pilot. And I I certainly would do that now after just, you know, um, a hundred more hours of flying time. Like I've learned a lot and been in a lot more conditions where I can honestly say, without hesitancy that my minimums were super conservative, um, unnecessarily conservative. Um, I guess the differences for night for me would be, I wouldn't mess around with any, um, with any close ceilings. And certainly if there was, if it was cold and I, you know, if I was going to be anywhere near where I thought I could have an ice situation. Um, so I think ceilings would probably be the biggest change for me. Um, 
that would probably be the biggest thing I would look at in terms of changing my minimums for night versus day, right? I mean, what else would be my factor? Visibility, you could say, is important, but also um, it's important in the day, too. So I'm not sure that I would make much of a, at least with the, you know, the ceilings would be the most important because it's a lot easier to, like, stay below the cloud layers when you can see them uh, rather than just end up in them by surprise. So I think I, if I was going to modify a minimum for night, it would be ceilings. Do you also have to consider um, oxygen? Not at the altitudes I'll be at. What do they say for night? 5,000. Yeah, I I mean, okay. I don't know if I buy that. I definitely, for for a 45-minute flight or whatever it is. Um, I think it's just more about your, just the, the if, Efficacy of your vision. I get it. Uh, Uh, But I don't know. Yeah. I probably wouldn't for that trip. Mm -hmm. Think about that. But yes, that is a good point. They do say that. um, I don't know. I know a lot of people have flown a lot at night um, at and above uh, 5,000. It's hard not to where you are. Yeah. I mean, really, really. Let's see. Ah, this is a good one. How often do you talk to flight service in the air? This is going to be super easy to answer. I'd like to get comfortable doing it so that when I need weather updates, it's not foreign to me. Um, I I can, uh, the only time I've ever talked to flight service on the air was the one time I opened a flight plan in the air. Um, you know, they all, you always hear on a lot of the ATISs, you know, like, um, hazardous weather information available on flight service frequencies. So if you need, some additional information you can get it. But the other great thing that ADSBN has done for us in the airplane uh, is, you know, real time data weather. I mean, not re- real time. Do not misread me. I don't want to start that train of like, it's not, you shouldn't rely on the radar. It's five minutes delayed. Okay, that's fine. Reasonably real time weather um, for, for planning in the air. So, I think less and less that's becoming relevant as well. But um, the flight service stuff is cool. Like they are there. There are people there uh, to like help you with really whatever you need to ask them about. So, um, but I have never, um, I have never, um, I've never talked to flight service about weather. Have you ever been uh, vectored around weather for, uh, via uh, flight following? Um, I don't think so. I mean, so, you know, there's there's also that layer too, right? Like they're 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 watching you if you're on flight following, and you know, you can't rely on them, but that's another layer uh, to get around weather. Let's see. Josh's check ride. He said his was the worst day of his of flying for him and his biggest nightmare, but it still passed somehow. Which I just think is a testament to. Um, how well our instructors prepared us, you know, to the standards that they hold us to. Um, you know, I think there's, I think we're our own worst critics um, and, and it's drilled into us from the beginning, right? Like fight for that center line, you know, like nail your touchdown point, get your speeds right. Like it's a constant um, thing, but I think it, it just goes to show you that they're, um, they're not trying to let us just squeak by and, you know, scrape by the skin of our teeth. So I think often we're, because what do we really have student pilots? What do we have to gauge it against? we don't have anything to gauge this performance against. So um, I think what we think is our, is terrible flying a lot of times is really um, average. And um, I think that uh, that just really speaks to our instructors. Um, After my check ride, I, I was sort of hungry for a debrief. You know, I really wanted this expert sort of uh, 
debrief, you know, uh, you know, somebody finally different telling me what, what they saw. And I thought during the check ride that my soft field takeoff uh, was one of the worst things that I'd ever done. And, and I just asked the DP straight up at the end of it. I said, um, you know, I'm just curious, like, what did you think that maybe I did particularly well and particularly not well? And what can I work on? And, and he's like, you know, he had to really think about it. Cause I guess it was just such a, a beige table of monotony and, and boredom for him, you know, to even consider, you know, like I'm all worried about all the details and he's just like, yeah, I got to go get lunch. But, uh, <laughs> but he did say, I was really concerned about my soft field. And he said, um, he said, you know, I, I thought your soft field really stood out. Like that was a really good takeoff and really like you really, and I was like, okay, that's it. I give up. I have no, we have no idea how to judge ourselves in the moment of what's right. actually going on. That's right. Uh, old aviator asks, what are your personal limitations for a crosswind component on takeoffs and landings? Um, again, I, I probably should review mine because I actually do not recall what was in my, what is written down for me on check ride day. It is certainly more than that now. I mean, I can th- think of a number of days recently in both planes, truthfully, the Cessna and the 235, um, where they've been 10 knots, probably crosswind component or greater, um, at least gusts of them, you know, maybe not consistent, um, that have been okay. Um, I came home from a flight. I think I published the video. Oh, yeah, it was one of my landings videos. Um, I was doing patterns in Clarksburg and they were picking up and picking up. And I think the last one, was probably getting close to like 12 knots crosswind. And I did one more landing and went home from that. But I can guarantee you check ride day. And like the six months after there would have been a 0% chance on some of those days that I would have been flying. And some of that was just me and my, you know, um, lack of, uh, I don't know if confidence or just whatever, but they've changed. So I would say probably, I mean, I don't know that I would intentionally seek out days that, were much more than that, but I would certainly fly in it if it was, you know, if there was a valid reason to do it. I think uh, there's a huge factor though, when you get like after you get your license and then you start flying and then you're still in a student mindset and you find there's a really good crosswind practice day and you take advantage of it and, and you just go out. For me, after I did that, even just one time where I was really focused on, I want to, you know, work on crosswind landings and I found the day that was right up at my minimums, which I think at that point was maybe eight or nine and, and consistent, you know, not all over the place, reasonably consistent yeah. and, and just burned it out and the pattern doing that. And then after that, I was like, okay, I, cause there's, there's still like, um, when you haven't done it a lot by yourself, it was as somebody else as a safety net or, or yeah. whatever, it, it just, there's a, there's a whole other fold of, uh, experience that you have to get right after uh, you get your license. In my experience, it was like, yeah, I'm just going to stay in the training mindset and I'm not going to take anything for granted. Cause now I got to do all this stuff when it's showtime for myself. Right. You know, and, and, you know, you do that with some, you know, one of your friends in the plane, it puts a different spin of pressure on everything. So yeah, that's, it's, that's a good thing uh, to have those minimums, uh, but they do, quickly evolve after training. for sure yeah. and i would say this too uh the only thing i would say about crosswinds the the two times i've been the scaredest both time in a crosswind situation both times were in the cessna and it was because as i it was because i um 
was not appropriately using aileron correction when I wasn't in the air. I mean, before and after landing, and by that, and and in two different ways. One is after I landed touchdown, I was still I was still going very fast and was in too big a hurry to put a bunch of correction in, and you know, tipped into the wind. You know, popped a wheelie on one side into the wind and had to straighten it back out. The other time was the opposite, and it was on takeoff when I didn't have enough in, and I, without intending to lift off the ground, the the upwind wing lifted up. So that's no joke. I mean, that stuff is the kind of stuff that can get you off center line and get you weird and get you in trouble. So, like, it's not so much for me about finding the alignment with the center line and the nose alignment, like, on landing. It's as much about when you're at a slightly higher speed rolling on the runway to, like, don't get complacent. They know they teach you that all the time, but just keep flying the airplane even when it's on the ground because that's when you get things can get squirrely on you there on the ground. And that's just as bad for the airplane, maybe a little bit less bad for you if something happens. Yeah, and definitely taxing too. The airplane. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And taxing too. So on the ground is. I've um, actually caught myself before being really good about crosswind correction after I land. And then for some reason, I forget. And then now I'm turning. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so it's amazing yeah. how how much difference that makes even in like steerability of the plane right to have it correctly in because it will push you in a way that does not logically make sense it's like why am i going this way this is yeah hey in in the interest of um safety i want to bring this up kevin webb who's a cfii here says uh he can attest to flying at higher altitudes at night on long cross country because he he and uh, sam flew r235 back from florida when we bought it It'll sneak up on you and start affecting your abilities, just as they say. So, in the interest of full, um, you know, uh, taking somebody smarter than mine's word on it, um, don't let me poo-poo that idea of needing some supplemental oxygen or being careful at higher altitudes um, at night. Uh, Kevin obviously is more experienced than me and says that indeed, as they say. I'm uh, curious of Kevin uh, when you say affecting your abilities. Uh, is it just all the normal sort of hypoxic type things or is it something different? Uh, I'm curious about the vision part of it or what, what hap- is it, is it actually at lower altitudes because your eyes, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. But anyway, maybe we'll do a night flight episode. That might be a, a good, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. All right. We got about 15 minutes left, so we'll keep kind of working through these, uh, badger pilot who I need to apologize for, um, I don't know why I why I said uh, Nebraska earlier when referring to obviously the Wisconsin Badgers, uh, but he called me out on that in the chat, so I apologize. Says I use my crosswind minimum based on forecast with a little wiggle room, which is smart. So if they're higher than forecast, I can still do it and feel reasonably comfortable and safe. That is smart. Oh, here's a good question uh, about money, no object. What's your dream aircraft you would love to own? Oh man, I mean, um, do you see that one in the in the? Uh, yeah, it's it? way further down the list from where I oh, was. Okay. Yeah, um, from Jay Little. That's a good question. Um, Money's no object. Oh, I just I feel like I it has guess. to be some. There has to be some constraint here, right? Because I don't know. I got to be honest. I mean, I. Yeah. I used to think I wanted like bigger, faster. Like I, I, I was in love and not that these are big money planes because really Moonies aren't that expensive, but I was convinced I wanted like a M20J or, you know, something a little faster and blah, blah. 
I am having so much more fun back in that 172 again. I know I keep saying that. I, I'm just in this stage of my life right now. I can't even think much past where I'm at in these little 235 and this 172. I'm just so content with these airplanes right now. Um, it's hard for me to even think um, beyond that. Yeah, and then for me, I I, I want a uh, a Cessna 177B. I don't want the retractable gear. I know it'll, you'll get a little faster, but it's just more stuff to keep track of. But if money's no object, okay, fine. I'll do the RG. But I want a Cardinal because to me, they're just, even just from a design history standpoint, I just think they're such fascinating planes and such awesome planes. But just the yeah. idea that back then Cessna was like, engineers, we've been running the 172 game for a long time. Take all the lessons learned, make the perfect plane. And they did it. Uh, and they kind of screwed it up. Then they kind of fixed it, and then and then they kind of had to walk away from it because people would not trust it uh, more than the 172. But I mean, it's the the interior and the way that the doors open, the lack of a wing strut. Uh, I want to do a lot of. Uh, I haven't even gotten into this yet, but I want to be able to do more, uh, you know, sort of aerial photography and things with mm-hmm. myself or others, and um, you know, the view and just the I don't know, just everything about the Cardinal to me seems like the perfect plane so i would just get one that's yeah. you know tricked out um disclaimer before we answer this question again that this is not a legal podcast or we're not accountants so the, any advice that i give now is not advice at all just opinion um is having a small single engine plane useful for business i run a small food manufacturing company and that's from foodhead i will say <clears throat> I, i'll answer this because i i have some i have some insight into this uh you can certainly fly places um to conduct business uh, as long as the flying isn't your business. So if you have to go somewhere and meet with a manufacturer, meet with a customer or do these things, no problem with that whatsoever. It's in fact, I flew for work. Uh, Oh, that's a flight. I didn't even talk about the other day. I went to Newport news and back um, last week for work. Um, So yes, what I will say is that in recent years, and it's not just related to airplanes, IRS rules have also changed on what is deductible for business, what business travel is deductible. And it's not in our favor as business travelers. So you may be surprised if you're not, if you're, you know, don't expect that you're going to necessarily be able to deduct a hundred percent of the cost of flying an airplane to go somewhere for business. Talk to your accountant on the specifics about those things. But in terms of FAA legality, um, anything that you would be already commuting to do, uh, you can commute by airplane. Uh, it's as long as um, your business isn't, um, you're not making the money for flying the airplane. Um, you can do it if it's incidental to your business. So it's actually, depending on your geography and the range that you're traveling, if it's kind of a regional thing. I think that's when it gets into the real sweet spot. Like the trip I had to take would have been a seven hour drive. It was an hour and 55 minute flight. Um, you know, so there's a ton of efficiency. It saved an extra travel day. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of real perks for it. I would say that's my take my non non legal advice, non accounting advice, advice. I'm going to just tell anybody that challenges me. Just Chris said, uh, this guy, Chris told me on the internet, <laughs> uh, I'd stay away from that. Um, I'm scrolling down here. One dog geek. Didn't you just mock uh, 172 in your most recent video? I mean, I did complain potentially about its um, 
capabilities, but then it was the only plane of our two that was able to get us where we needed to go on that day. So I feel like I owe it an apology and maybe dinner. Uh, Kevin Webb clearing up some of the effects of um, high altitude at night. Uh, They say it affects everyone differently. For us, we experienced some difficulty tracking a course and flying in a straight line. We were at 8,500 feet, I believe. We eventually realized and descended, and all was fine. So good on you for recognizing the signs. Um, Yeah, so um, I think uh, have we missed anything. Um, Maybe we can just spend the last couple minutes uh, just uh, plugging and, and wrapping it up. Sure. Um, and then I can get some uh, some some dinner, and that'll be sweet. I like that. Yeah, I mean that seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, I guess I guess the reality is uh, we've got a couple thing big things coming up. I am um, I know I've said this before. I'm not making any commitments because I'm terrible at this. Getting back on track. I have so much content now finally built up, and feels like March Madness is over for me. I was out of. I was literally living in a hotel for 16 nights in a row, and so it's good to get back in the swing, and uh, hopefully getting back to the every two week um, video content posting on the YouTube channel. Brian's way outpacing me on content. Uh, if you're not, his link is in all of my videos now in the descriptions on the Midlife Pilot page. You should definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. Um, his content is, we're making, we're both flying very similar uh, planes and routes, but the content is dramatically different uh, style and uh, just kind of approach to what we're making. And uh, which is one another thing I love about YouTube is there's room for every you even though our, we're doing roughly the same thing the content is so different um and i love that and so um definitely subscribe and check that out um if you haven't uh brian also launched his patreon uh page as well we'll put a link to that i love how we i love how we're both subscribers to each other's patreon yeah it's like we're yeah it's like we're just kind of splitting it it's kind of like maybe we should just both not we could just <laughs> the same anyway yeah we should uh, just gr- gracefully bow out of each other's patreon <laughs> <laughs> But do check out, uh, are you just patreon.com slash Siskind? Siskind, S I S K I N D. And uh, patreon.com slash midlife pilot is uh, my Patreon. If you want to go to those, there are perks that are different on both. And um, I know Brian's been posting stuff. I saw some cool photos and some cool other stuff that's come across the last couple of days. So he's been super active on his. Um, what else? What else? Um, so let's see, two weeks from now is the next one of these and yeah. that'll be basically, oh, that would be interesting because we're going to be able to actually have weather, you know, outlook, uh, it's going to start really getting down to the wire for, for our, our big, uh, mega trip. Uh, it's gonna be so cool to see, uh, uh, David and Mark and all these people. Um, Ben, it's just going to be, it's just, ben, yeah, it's just going to be such an awesome, um, experience no matter no matter how it all goes we'll all get there we'll all get back and something will something will happen that's fun and flying when we're there and that's all that really matters i'm super stoked very cool Um, yeah yeah. 
Well, we appreciate all you guys too. I see all the comments, all the thanks in here. And really this is, um, this is our favorite part of the podcast. Uh, if we could do everyone without structure and just questions, it'd be great. But, uh, like everything else in life, there are other criteria at play, uh, including, um, algorithms and other things. And we have content to cover and we want to have some guests on. We've been talking with, uh, some people. So, um, stick around. We'll do this every other Wednesday night. If you can come back, please do. Uh, we love having you here and interacting with everyone and, uh, certainly appreciate some of you guys have been around for all of them. And, uh, we really, really appreciate you all, uh, being here and to our audience on uh, the, our podcast subscribers, of course. Um, it, I can, you know, it's so easy to forget about the, um, the, uh, the audio portion when we're doing this live with all these guys, but that's obviously the big, a big part of this too. And so uh, thanks for being here every week and listening in your car and wherever else, or wherever else your, you might your Peloton uh, in your airplane, uh, <laughs> wherever. Oh yeah. But, oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, videos every two hours. No, I'm not doing every two hours, Mark, uh, but Hey, uh, I'll see what I can do. Um, but yeah, thanks again, every, everybody. It's super fun uh, to just, have a a hang like this. I really appreciate it. We will talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Take care.